following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. Good morning, everyone. Because we've been given a mandate to love, respect, and honor Christ as we have been finding and learning and excited about in our study through Ephesians, because of that mandate, we are to love, respect, and honor one another. And now Paul is going to take us even deeper by admonishing us to have an attitude of what we're going to refer to as mutual submission. One of our most favoritest words, right, everybody? (laughs) Mutual submission amongst one another within the community of faith, which happens to be, again, as we have been seen, a characteristic of being filled with the Spirit of God. As we saw in verse 18, and in the Bible, this term filled means controlled by, not by our flesh, not by our own wills, controlled in our minds, our emotions, and our will under the control of the Spirit of God. And so, and in this section, we are in chapter 5, we'll be picking it up, of Ephesians chapter 5, picking up at verse 22. In this passage, Paul gives us three examples of relationships in which believers, did I hear, oh no? Here we go. Let me just say, if those, for those of you who read ahead and you're still here, bless you. <laughs> he's he's going to give us three examples of relationships in which believers are to be submitted to one another. And he, as we know, he's going to draw from marriage, parenting, and even employment. Paul's important point is that in each of these sets of relationships, those in authority are to be submissive to the needs of those under them, and those in submission are to be subject to the authority of those over them. In other words, and we'll say this again, it's not a one-way street. It is a two-way street. Now, as we step into this, well, for, let me, you know, the example that we're going to have is, as we will see, the wife is to submit to the authority of her husband, but her husband is to be subject to the needs of his wife. Now, as we step into this passage, let it be said, and I'm serious here, that some sections of Scripture are kind of like minefields seemingly full of explosives rather than treasure chests full of truth. In other words, you find yourselves reading through a powerful chapter like chapter 5 of Ephesians, and then suddenly you come across a topic that can ignite explosive responses such as this passage has the ability to do and has for some through the years. When you read and when we read in light of progressive first century norms, some of the ideas in these verses can sound kind of old-fashioned. To some, 
quaint to others and even downright ridiculous or even dangerous to a few as well. Why? Well, because Paul in this section deals with some of the most challenging of all relationships on the planet. <coughs> Husband-wife, parent-child, employer-employee. And so because of this, when it comes to this section in Ephesians 5, 20 through, through 23, it really goes on into chapter 6, verse 9, which we'll cover next time. It feels a little risky because of the content. Nevertheless, I believe, and I'm, I am sure you do as well, that the Word of God is true. Amen? It is true and the best and most reliable resource for us, especially in the troubled times in which we find ourselves living in. And so, therefore, I believe it is worth the risk. How about you? Okay, very good, because it definitely is. Because I know when we interpret these passages in their biblical and historical contexts, we find that their truths transcend culture, personal preference, and human wisdom. Aren't you thankful for that? But before diving into the passage, we first need to remind ourselves of the context in which we find these verses. And so, first of all, Paul's practical section, which covers chapters 4 through 6, half of the, you know, the second half of the Ephesian letter, begins with an exhortation for all believers. And some of you will be, be uh, reminded of this. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received, to be humble and gentle with patience, bearing with one another in love. That sets the tone for the rest of the entire letter. These words do that. And so secondly... Chapter 5 itself begins with an equally powerful command. Follow God's example. Or as some of the translations have, be imitators of God. As dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us. That's verses 1 and 2 of this fifth chapter. Thirdly. Paul's specific admonitions for husbands and wives flows out of his primary exhortation found in verse 21, where we left off a couple of weeks ago, submit to one another, and then he gives us the reason why, out of reverence for Christ. Do we need any other kind of reason for that? Out of reverence for Christ. We participate, we live out, we experience this mutual submission that we're going to be talking about this morning. This whole overarching context informs us that everything we do in our lives as followers of Christ is to be governed by a godly Christ-like behavior such as humility, gentleness, and patience and tolerance, and love, and yes, of course, mutual submission. 
And so this means that the submission Paul has in mind, as I've already said, is not a one-way street. Rather, it's both people. Hear this now, because I think this is so key. It is both people seeking the other's best while at the same time honoring Christ. Amen? Amen. Seeking one another's best, both doing that, while at the same time honoring Christ. Submission, gently but firmly, displaces selfishness and conceit. Competition and pulling rank, domination and dishonor. Instead, we should rather look to the one perfect example that you and I have of humility and submission, looking to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the perfect example as we see his submission before the Father, his Father, our Father. Together we live and work for Christ's glory, recognizing that we're living testimonies, walking stories of His undeserved grace. Amen. Life-giving love and unifying headship overall. And so Paul begins this instruction with the most intimate kind of relationship, that of the husband and wife. And he begins applying the submission principle found in verse 21, in verses 22 through 24 for the wives. He will then spend verses 25 through 33 applying the principle to husbands. How many fingers you got? You start figuring that out and he's like, oh, mm, more ink was spent on the guys <laughs> than on the girls. Why do you suppose that is, guys? Let your wife tell you. <laughs> Let's pick it up at verse 22 where Paul begins with this. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Paul says, wow, pretty key deal, right? Submit to your husbands like you do to the Lord. Note that Paul is speaking here only about the marriage relationship. It's important, wives and husbands. It's not about the general relationship between men and women. The phrase, as you do to the Lord, basically is introducing an analogy which Paul will unpack in the next few verses. So let's look at 23 and 24 now. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, at this point, we need to emphasize that in Christ, we all have equal dignity. Yeah? Every single one of us have equal dignity in Christ. So Paul's statement has nothing to do, not one bit of talking about some kind of inferiority. Not at all. Headship, church, is not dictatorship. Remember, it's each for the other, both for the Lord. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul says there in that letter, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all 
one in Christ Jesus. Such a statement, please understand, such a statement being made at this point in time by the Apostle Paul was so profoundly countercultural, a countercultural claim of his day. It wasn't happening like that. Was, that had been like, what? Wait, what? It was a time when many Jews felt superior to Gentiles, while Gentiles frequently disrespected Jews. Slave traders considered their slaves to be pieces of property like cattle whose value was directly linked to their strengths, skills, or abilities. And men of that time often believed that women who were typically not as physically strong as them were therefore essentially inferior. But Paul comes onto the scene and says, not so, not even close. All are equal in the eyes of God. The Lord has designed husbands to provide leadership in the home and wives to support their husbands. He has chosen to order life this way. This is God's setup. Amen? And if it's his setup, and he being wiser and smarter and sharper and all-knowing than us, unless anybody here thinks they've got a better idea, anybody? Then we therefore need to trust him with his plan and the way he has established this whole thing. Amen? We need to trust God that he knows what he's doing. We need to trust him that he knows what is best. In our culture, though, there are those who do not want to accept that. We understand that, don't we? We get that. We know that. There are a couple of reasons for it. First, people often misunderstand that Paul's exhortation for women they miss this, that it's balanced with an even stronger mandate for man, as we're going to see when we get to verse 25. Contrary to today's opinion, Paul is not a chauvinist. Far from it. Second, they also fail to realize another very important fact. Understood in its whole biblical context, Christian marriage is meant to be a partnership. An intimate relationship, a deep and mutually gratifying friendship, not a dictatorship. And by appealing to the relationship between Christ and his church as a model for marriage is what he's doing here. Paul taps into a beautiful picture of the close, personal, and loving relationship between Savior and his people. And whatever your thoughts are of what that relationship is like and looks like and is to look like is exactly what Paul is calling us in, as married couples to live out and to display and be a reflection of in our world. Yes, Christ is our head, but Romans 8.17 informs us that we are also fellow heirs with him, right? Yes, he is our master. He is also our friend, close friend. Christ, our provider, protector, 
head, master, and savior is obviously our supreme example. And so if a husband is loving his wife, sacrifices himself for her sake as Christ did for his church, then his wife will joyfully love him, sacrifice herself for him in return, as the church is to do for Christ. Now, the two words at the end of verse 24, in everything, probably requires some explanation. Frankly, some men have co-opted this phrase to justify taking unfair advantage of their wives and neglecting the responsibility of self-sacrificial, loving, servant leadership. Commentator John Stott sets us straight on this account. He says, we have to be very careful not to overstate this biblical teaching on authority. It does not mean that the authority of husbands is unlimited or that wives are required to give unconditional obedience. No, the submission required is to God's authority delegated to human beings. And so, therefore, if a husband should happen to misuse his God-given authority, so, for example, by commanding what God forbids, or forbidding what God has commanded. Then the wife no longer is required or needs to submit to the wrong that she's being asked to do. Now that we've looked at Paul's words to wives, husbands, are you ready? Let's see what he has to say to us, who also likewise have a high and responsible calling to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25, first part of verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Again, God's instructions are so clear. Inspired by God's spirit, Paul simply says, husbands, love your wives. And everyone in there, all the husbands in the room are saying, well, yeah, got that one. I love her. But it isn't where it ends, is it? <laughs> and this is where it gets tough. Look at the rest of the verse. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. After instructing wives to submit to their husbands, he instructs husbands to love their wives so completely and so righteously that the wife need never fear or suffer from her life of submission. Mr. Husband, how should you love your wife? Just as Jesus loves you. Just as Jesus loves his church. First of all, he loves us sacrificially. Amen? In the Garden of Eden, the first Adam parted with a bone. But on the hill of Calvary, the last Adam poured out, departed with, poured out his blood. At creation, the first Adam gave up something of himself, a rib, 
But on the cross, the last Adam gave all of himself. Held nothing back for you and me. This means that if we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we'll love her to the point where we die to our own dreams, our own desires, and our own wishes. In other words, we'll love her to death. Second, Jesus loves the church unconditionally. Jesus doesn't just love us only when we're being good boys and girls when we're having our morning devotions and, and if we're tithing on our money or attending church as good as, and as good as all as that is. He just loves us. End of story. And we are to love our wives in that very same manner. We're not to love her only if she's making good meals, picks up after us, or if, she, if she's pleasing us. We are to love her, period. And there isn't a woman on the face of the earth because with the way God has created her, not a woman on the face of the earth who will have difficulty submitting to a man who loves her in that kind of way. Submission is never a problem when a man loves his wife as Christ loves the church. Verse 26 and 27, Paul continues to make her holy. He loves her as Christ loves the church in order to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present to himself, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. As the bride of Christ, which we are, right? Every single one of us. What does Jesus do to us? He washes us with the water of his word. He irons out the wrinkles. He takes away the blemishes. And in so doing, Jesus is basically saying to us, I know my bride isn't perfect, but I'm going to work on her and in her that she might be sanctified, made beautiful, washed by the water of my word. Now, husbands, listen closely to me. Don't tune me out with what I'm about to say. Because I believe it to be truth, truth that we all need to hear and embrace. Stick with me. Because I've got some tough truth here to share. If ever there are times when you're feeling like you're not liking your wife very much, and here's the tough truth. It's because you've been a miserable husband. Not a single amen. <laughs> you should see the looks I'm getting right now if I had a camera. but it is truth. 1 Corinthians 11.7 tells us the woman is the glory of the man. You know what that means? That word glory there simply means reflection. Reflection. If we look at our wives 
and don't like what we see, it's because we're seeing a reflection of our own shortcomings and failures. So here's a question for those of you who may experience this at times. When was the last time, husbands, you washed her with the water of the word? The first miracle Jesus ever did was at a marriage ceremony, right? The wine having run out, Jesus called the servants together and said, take those stone pots, fill them to the brim with water, then serve the water to the guests. You know the story. Sure enough, as the servants began to pour the water, the water was changed to wine of the highest quality. John chapter 2, verse 10. So too, husband, I speak to myself. Just as Jesus came as the servant of all, you're to be a servant to your wife. If the wine of romance, the wine of happiness, the wine of joy has gone from your marriage, well then, first of all, husband, fill your own life with the water of the word. Get back into God's word. Reestablish a devotional time. Study the scriptures. Join a men's group. Do whatever it takes to fill up your own life with the word of God that washes. And once you're being filled, take what you're learning and serve your wife with that very same water that's worked on you, the water of the word. Then watch it transform into the wine of joy in your marriage, and in your relationship there. The result of this work of Christ for the church, listen, look at what he says here. The result is when this is taking place, when we're being washed in the water of his word as a church and in marriage, it becomes radiant without stain or wrinkle, holy and blameless. If a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church, his love and care will have sanctifying influence on the wife who will experience personal benefit as a result. The wife, like the church, like us husbands, never will be perfect this side of heaven, but she becomes more than she would if the husband does not love her as Christ loved his church. Amen? Look at verse 28 now with me. It says, in this same way, as Paul continues to give illustration and example how us husbands are to love our wives, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Paul returns to his original analogy of Christ and the church, pointing out an even deeper and more profound reality and purpose for the marriage relationship. He repeats the fact that husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. And even though the husband lives in an imperfect body, 
He loves it. He nourishes it, takes care of it. So he is to do the very same for his wife. The analogy, again, is very closely related to washing her with the pure water of the word. We feed ourselves. We are to be a part and be experiencing and be showing this kind of love to our wives and even practicing this feeding of the word to our wives as well. Can we be honest for a second? There are too many marriages within the church today, not just this one, generally speaking, where that has been reversed. And I want to speak to you husbands. That cannot be. God did not call your wife to be the leader spiritually of the home. He called you. So step up. Step up. This is why Paul in the next verse refers back to Genesis 2.24, which speaks of the love and the unity and the permanence of marriage. Look at what he says in verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However... Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Paul is establishing the fact that a husband and wife are to become one in the flesh, one unit, no longer separate, and closes by restating that the relationship between the wife and the husband is like the relationship that is to exist between Christ and his church. How easy it is, because life happens, right? We get caught up in doing life, and life happens. How easy it is for us to miss what our true purpose is in, in any given week or day or moment. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, we're told, it says, Hear, O Israel, but in the New Testament Christian context, Hear, O Christian, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and might. What is the Lord asking for? Love is what he asked for. Love is what we have been created for. We are Eve, as the bride of Christ, we are Eve. Fallen, seduced, and flawed. But Jesus loves us. Are you thankful? In our flawedness, if there's such a word, he loves us. And even as Adam knowingly with his eyes wide open, ate of the forbidden fruit in order that he might be with Eve. So the last Adam, our Savior Jesus, knowingly took upon himself the sin of the world, our sin, that he might spend eternity with us, we with him. And so the mystery of marriage is that Jesus wants to be one with you. The marriage of Christ and his bride, 
husbands and wives. He wants us to be one. He, he wants to communicate with you. He wants us communicating with one another. He wants to walk through the storms with you. He wants us doing life together, even killed. He loves you and wants you to love him. How? Marriage will teach you. It is a great instructor. <laughs> Marriage will teach you. For it's an illustration of what you should be doing with the Lord and for the Lord. Don't get sidetracked, folks. Don't fall for the world's way of doing things. Obviously, it doesn't take rocket science to look around and see. They don't have any clue of what to do. Our God has given us everything we need. Let's not get sidetracked. Let's not do it the way the world is doing it. You are the Lord's very beloved. And that's the mystery of marriage. After celebrating her 75th wedding anniversary, an elderly lady was asked the secret of her marriage. And so she said, on my wedding day, I intended to write a list of 10 things for which I would forgive my husband. But I never got around to writing them down. So over the years, whenever he would make me hopping mad, <laughs> that must be pretty mad, right? <laughs> I would just tell myself it was a good thing for him that that was on my list. <laughs> Honor your husbands, women. Love your wives, guys. That's the way it works. It's the way of love. The role of submission in our lives, please, please, if you're going to write anything down, and even if, you don't, if you're not a writer-down kind of person, which is mostly you guys, <laughs> Write this one. The role of submission is also our mission for Christ. Amen? Amen? The role of submission in our lives is part of our mission for Christ. Mutually submitted to one another. Can you imagine if the, if the church of Jesus Christ got a hold of this truth and began to live it out? Literally, it would, it would change the church therefore would change the world if we just lived out the truths we looked at today. I want to encourage every husband in the room, every former husband, current husband. The chances are some of you are, are here and after hearing what you've just heard, might be feeling a little bad, might be feeling a little bit like a failure, a little shame, a little guilt. I understand. But the good news for all of us is that God has told us that every day is a new day, right? That his mercies are new every morning. Maybe there's been failures in your past. It does not have to be today. It's a new day. It's a new beginning. Let's live this stuff out. You see, the night before Marilyn and I were married, after our wedding rehearsal and all that sort of thing. I went back home. I was still living with my parents and I just wanted to kind of spend some time with the Lord and 
kind of, you know, begin to prepare what I was about to enter into. I got my Bible and I turned to this very passage. And my prayer was, God, help me to just love Marilyn the way you've loved me. In all honesty, I wish I could tell you I've done well with that over these 48 years. I have failed miserably time and time again. In fact, I'm thankful that if whatever I've done to make Marilyn hopping mad, it was on her list <laughs> to forgive me. But I do find encouragement that God's grace is greater than it is for you guys. Hey, listen. Don't, can, don't walk out these doors the same person you were when you came in. Let's leave different. Amen. Father, we come before you this morning. And you've spoken a tough word to most of us. And that's okay. Because often we need to hear the tough words. Words of love. Words of compassion. Words of concern words of care may we receive them in that way and God may we take this to heart and may we truly may we truly see may you help us see God give us this glowing picture of not only your love for us and your church but what could be in the church and in this world if we just truly lived out this mutual submission that Paul has presented us with loving each other, looking out for the best for one another as we seek to honor you, Lord, in all of this through our lives. It would change the world. Help us. Help us, oh God, to be men of God, women of God, living the way you have purposed us to live. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up my heart.